I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm in Chicago today, and uh, I'm here chatting with a couple of very interesting fellows from ZS Associates, uh, which of course is one of the world's leading consulting firms and advisories, helping big pharma companies get closer and understand their customers. Uh, specifically, I'm here with uh, Ron Fernando, and uh, it's, well, you have in your bio Desahive, it's Damahandra, is it? Damahandra, yeah. Oh, I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, close. Reasonably close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I heard both these guys speak this morning at this conference that I'm at, and I, I kind of persuaded them to come and have a cup of coffee with me, because one of the things I find so interesting about what's going on in healthcare at the moment is that there's this massive transformation, not just in the way that we as consumers are gathering information about ourselves and our lifestyles and our health and wellness, but the whole decision-making infrastructure about the way the commercial operations of big pharma companies and providers and payers is changing. So that's a big topic. (laughs) It is, it is. What do you guys think about all that? It's actually a very exciting moment in healthcare right now because um, the, the industry has been quite traditional and the way it's gone to market has typically been quite traditional. It's also very, it's uh, for, for good reason, it's a super regulated uh, structure. And so uh, what, what can be said to patients and how we interact with patients and so on, that's uh, typically very, very regulated. And so it's difficult to disrupt something which is, which is very regulated. At the same time, the same forces that are shaping other industries are also shaping healthcare. So we have lots of information everywhere. We have, patients are getting more involved, like you just said, in, in their own and taking ownership of their own health. Um, there are uh, there are provider systems and payers are now more and more dictating what happens at the doctor's office, and pharmaceutical companies are in this interesting spot hmm. where um, you know they have these kind of big customers, if you like, providers, payers that are you know, exerting pressure on them, they're patients who are getting more involved, and they, um, they need to stay relevant. And, and so that's, that's why it's a very interesting moment. Um, some of what we talked about today was how analytics and um, how that, the, the information that we have can very much change how patients are being treated in a, in a better way. And so I think that's the end game. Right. Uh, the question is, like, how do we get from today, which is a little bit traditional, to, to that end game? And I think if you look at the different, um, you know, the different customers of the uh, pharmaceutical, there's the, the, the physicians or the HCPs, uh, there the change is that, you know, they are becoming very digitally uh, active. And, and as the newer generations of the HCPs, you know, come into the, into the play and newer generations of employees come into the play, the way that traditionally the interaction has happened, physicians are very busy, and the way they stayed relevant on what new drugs are coming in the market is somebody will be waiting in the hall in between the patient, they see them, and they, you know, they have 30 seconds and they tell them more about it. And then they leave a uh, sort of a pharma-branded pad behind. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is changing because, you know, yeah. if you look at uh, in, in most of the rest of their working, the way they get information is just when I need it, you know, in, in different ele- electronic modes, I can get that information. Mm-hmm. So particularly when newer generations and what we have seen 
the newer generations of HCPs, for example, they want to interact with the company through different digital channels, not necessarily they want somebody to be waiting in the hall. So the, the same logic that's transformed the media and marketing industries yeah. about using data to send very personalized content on specific yeah. channels, that, that's also now coming into health. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Right. Um, sort of programmatic messaging. Yeah. And then I think if you look at the, uh, Rohan talked about the consumer side, the patients, they are becoming more and more uh, uh, taking, you know, sort of health in their own hand. They are much more informed. Um, even economically, you know, the co-pays and all have increased mm. a lot. So they economically also they make the decision. And now the pharma companies are trying to re figure out how to reach 200 million customers, right, in a much more effective way. Um, as opposed to 200,000, which were the physicians, right? And that's again where a lot of, you know, sort of the way we reach, reach them, the way we become more patient-centric is a complete. The, the level of complexity required in order to start treating individual physicians and patients as sort of markets of one mm -hmm. is far beyond the scope of any sort of human being or department. Mm -hmm. uh, and this starts to require levels of automation we've never Absolutely. seen before. Yeah. Uh, how does this... You know, at an organizational level, how does this change the way that we approach the delegation of decision making and, and sort of designing what people do, really? Yeah. So we think about it as um, if two, two versions of analytics. And in the first version, the analytics is there to support human beings to make better decisions. That's, uh, and and uh, it's absolutely essential. But in the second version, there, it's more of an engine that takes information from many, many different sources, and then it helps to, to spit out what action needs to be taken next. Because just like you said, if you've got two million patients, there's no way that a human being is gonna make all these two million decisions. So that needs, to be, um, that needs to be a heuristic that is doing that. And so what we're seeing in the industry right now is the move from this kind of version one type of analytics to version two type of analytics. So this, this second automated part, this is transactional analytics essentially, is it? Well, the transactional piece is, is, is actually more on the first side, which is you know, giving, giving backward-looking reports to people so that they can make better decisions. And, and, okay. we, and we, do, we do believe that that's a good thing to do, right? So pe because ultimately, if you don't have information, what you're using is your gut. So right. doing that is a good thing, and it's, it's, it's one step up from, from gut feel. Uh, but then the next step is to build these more of these operations and analytics machines, which can take a whole host of information, just like Amazon does, just like Netflix does. And you know, there aren't human beings who are making you making that recommendation to you about buying that particular battery set. There's quite a counterintuitive uh, part of this, which is the more important the decision, in a way, the the more relevant it's going to be to delegate it to a machine rather than a human mm -hmm, being. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, absolutely. You know, yep. which is. But, but I guess you know, this is something I've seen in other industries where what's actually happening is the best way to deploy your, your I guess, judgment talent is in the design of the system that makes the decisions yeah, and, right. and to be able to challenge their assumptions rather than actually right. making that person make decisions all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's a mental shift. You have to say to yourself at some point, there is no way that a human being uh, can and should you know, make all these disaggregated decisions. That's good. When we can build and design these other systems, just like you're talking about, which can do this and do this in a more effective way. Tell me a bit more about this next best, best action um, methodology, the machinery that right. supports. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, the next best action is, you know, like uh, Chris talked about, right now all, we have increased a lot of different channels 
the way we reach the customer. But then the engine behind it is all manual. Hmm. There are different people in charge of sending emails versus sending reps. So what happens? And it's very customer, political too. And everybody targets <laughs> the same valuable customers. Yeah. So then they get the, the, the most valuable guest customers have the worst experience because they just get bombarded <laughs> by these different channels. So the machine has two roles to play, right? One role is how do you automate how do we figure out which physicians or which customers, what kind of content they engage most with, what type of channel they like most? Are they still a very in-person, that they like a person to come and tell them, or they're okay with email, they read the email, etc. And And you, you basically, not only the content, but which channel you send and what sequence, that all can be automated. Hmm. And that is what is happening, beginning to happen. And when that happens, then much like the Ubers and others, because they have the history of customer knowledge, the experience is much better. Now, if there, there are two types of things. Are we relying on a system to send an email? Then I would call it machine to machine. Because yes. you're not, there's no person involved in that, right? The analytics figures out which email, when does it go, and the machine sends it. But you still have a, the, the sales reps still play a valuable role in complex, you know, in complex disease areas, etc. So sometimes it will be machine to human, means you are sending a recommendation to the salesperson that this, based on everything that has happened with this customer in the recent time, this is the right message, right? Now, when that happens, a lot of our learning, that then it's machine to human. Because for the last mile, you are relying on that person. Right. And, and initially, when we did this, sales reps, you know, the general belief they have is they know their customers, they know their, so nobody else should tell them what, what they should do. So the first reaction Especially is, not a machine. Yeah, not a machine. <laughs> so the first reaction is rejection, even if 2% of the recommendations are wrong. But then we started to think about the GPS model. You know, the GPS, like, I, I live in north side of New York, and uh, now with Google, which is kind of standardized everything, uh, but in the first generation of GPS, I would use GPS when I come to the New Jersey side, but I knew how to get my ways around the bridges and tunnels, and I didn't use the GPS, because it's not gonna tell no. me the right thing. Now Google has, and now I no longer have that advantage, because Google is standardized, everybody's taking those side roads and all now. But, uh, but GPS, the way it did is, even if I didn't follow it, it adapted. Hmm. It adapted, you know, uh, always, right, to, to, for the rest of my journey. Right. So the same concept we have taken, gamification, the reps can dislike the, you know, the, the suggestions. So it's a, and the algorithm just reroutes. And then the algorithm uh, figures out that. So <laughs> the basic, and that's where we use machine learning to personalize it, to listen to them. So the, right. But the gamification... And personalization becomes very important when you're going machine to human. And one of the analogies uh, that I heard your CEO talk about that I thought was fascinating was this change in the relationship between the human and the machine, here in this case the sales rep and the algorithm. So it's less about creating a report or using Excel and more like the relationship we have with Alexa where mm -hmm. you ask a question and get a response. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you talk about how that's sort of playing out now in the field? Uh, so I think it's in in its very early phases. Yes. But I well, what's the vision? Though? The vision is that um, let's say the sales reps are driving, and a lot of they spend a lot of times on the road. This is where it becomes the voice part of it becomes most important. Yeah. And they say, hey, I'm going to see this, you know, this uh, physician. Can you give me a quick report that I need to know? Uh, and what so obviously the Alexa part of it is both the artificial intelligence as well as the voice that it. 
it, it listens to you, it compiles interesting information that is mm. important for you to know and, and it talks back to you in a very concise way. Uh, how do they do it today? They are sitting in the uh, customer's office, they're going through <laughs> lots of information to f assemble that in their own mind with right. all these reports. And basically what Alexa is, you know, in, in this particular case, synthesizing and, and also communicating. The same thing they can say, hey, I, I went to this physician or this customer, they were not there, I mean, you know, because these are often not by appointment. Can you tell me some other customers that in this area, based on all the recent thing that has happened, I should see? And Alexa kind of says, okay, yeah, you should see this, you know. It, uh, and, um, so. But there's a, there's a deeper evolution of this as well, because, you know, anyone that's grown up with Alexa has sort of started to get used to having a very free-form conversational relationship to technology information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we used to have teams of analysts who you might say, what's the best way for us to enter this market? Mm -hmm. But in the future, leaders will essentially say that to their AIs as well. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so that, that changes the, the nature of the analytics function within an organization as well, because you, they're gonna have to increasingly be supporting these systems can answer these kinds of questions. Right. Yeah, I mean, they'll still be big, big, uh, strategic type questions that you may not want to be making through an Alexa-like format. Right. right. Um, should we buy? Should we buy? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's not something that you know you you could build. I mean, you, you might be able to, but it's not something that an executive is ever likely to say. You know, I'm going to follow that recommendation. It's like the the eight ball. The the, the future looks good. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> but I think in this world of uh, you know huge amounts of information, Sahai's example. What's, what happens today is a huge amount of, of resources get spent on creating these you know, very, very large number of reports. And these sales reps have to kind of go through all these reports and make up their mind. That's a perfect in, uh, instance where an Alexa-like uh, system can help. Because it can really cut to the chase. You know, the sales rep doesn't need to go through 15 different pages. Mm -hmm. Just cut to the chase, here are the three things, and get it right to them <coughs> when they need it. This, in a way, is what Siri was designed to be yeah, yeah. Uh, before yeah, Apple exactly. turned. You yeah. know, Apple's legal team made it less yeah. interesting. Right, right. Um, you know, th this sort of brings us on to the, the role of analytics in organizations. And I was particularly struck by your story of the, the, the evolution of analytics um, from sort of, a, sort, of a, sort of a siloed function in different departments to sort of an industrialized, centralized model to, I guess, where we're going. Can you, can you talk, talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, when um, uh, most, most pharma companies, they're organized in a very particular way, um, and they're typically organized by product. And, and what happened over the years is, and, and then they'll be across the world as well. So they have US and headquarters, and then you know, maybe they'll be operating in 50 countries and so on. And what happened historically is just the, the way things were, that each brand and each product and each country, they would, they would hire some analysts. And over time, you just got all these analytical people, but they were all over the place. And so the first kind of wave of things that were, that's happened over maybe over the last five to 10 years is people saying, you know, if we really want to be, um, make decisions based on, it, on data versus just gut, we have to pull all these folks together into one unit which does analytics. Right. Right? So all these people, they used to exist. But now they're all, they're, it's, it's, we call it sort of centralized and professionalized. You know, so they're kind of centralized and professionalized. And then um, what happens next is they're, um, they're getting the best kind of tools like data lakes, things like that. So they, now they have their information at their fingertips. And what we've been talking about in the last sort of 20 minutes is 
well, what do they do next? Now they've done all these sorts of things, right? Now they've got these great reports, they've got these data lakes and so on. What's the next frontier? Next frontier is the sorts of things we've just been talking about. Right, you know, uh, automating and creating next best action. Next best action, engines and so on, rather than doing point analytics. And what's the end state? Is, is that, you know, this is, you know, where you start to yeah. essentially become a more of a natural born digital pharma company? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, here we're in the realm of, you know, what does the future look like and so on. So uh, it's a little bit up for grabs. But um, I think one of the things that, that, that we believe in is that as analytics and information is driving more and more healthcare decisions, um, it's, it will help doctors make better diagnoses. Even today, it's doing that. Yeah. Um, we will see a future where there's more personalization in the medicine. So, for example, today, if you went to the doctor, you had a certain ailment, they, you would get a, a drug. In a few years' time, the treatment regimen will be much more personalized to you. Based on your DNA, your biomarkers. Based, yeah. yeah. We'll know a whole host of things. You might have a series of Fitbit-like machines, which you wear all the time, mm. so we'll know a whole host of things about you, your, your DNA, and so on. And so we'll be able to, or pharma companies will be able to create these uh, treatment regimens which are much more personalized to you. In that world, it's a very cool world because the outcome will be much better. Hmm. Um, today, there's a lot of failure in terms of, you know, there's, uh, if you take the research and development wing of, of many companies, for every one product that comes to market, I don't know what the numbers are, but there's, you know, a hundred that, that fail along the way. So as we see more and more personalization, we'll see fewer and fewer health outcome failures and more and more higher probability of success. And that's, that's I think, where we're seeing analytics and information really driving better outcomes. You're seeing, uh, to that end, it's not surprising, the entrance of more of these traditional tech companies coming into the space. I mean, Microsoft now are getting very active in sort of um, oncology research uh, using AI to, to read research papers. Um, Google's partnering up with uh, AbbVie on um, longevity, mm-hmm. Project Calico. Even even Apple's now getting involved in clinical trials with devices. So is this going to be the beginning of the 21st century sort of info pharma companies? Like will you see massive mergers essentially between these sort of groups? So there are three types of companies trying to get into the digital, uh, right? Um, <clears throat> one is the manufacturer. The, yeah. uh, um, the second is the payer. And in fact, some of the most advanced uh, um, things you see in countries which are single-payer because they have interest in the long-term cost-benefit of the patient. So they are doing lots of things about digital health. Can, can, you, can you unpack that a little? Yeah, so for example, you know, uh, digital health is all about managing total health, right? right? Which is basically, you know, um, the best way for me to take care of my health is not to get sick in the first place, right? <laughs> if I'm prone to have diabetes, because of my genetic history and all, I need to worry about it when I'm 20, not when yeah. I'm 50. And so there is a lot of obviously prevention uh, um, and lifestyle and those kind of things that people are trying to uh, uh, package uh, uh, together, right? And um, and the 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 payers in single payer, uh, you know, they have an interest because they have an interest in long term uh, uh, cost benefit of the patient, right? Um, so they are very much into this. And then obviously the third one is the the, the digital companies, because they think that they have the organizational capability to disrupt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, creating the digital sort of the backbone, owning the patient data with their permission and everything, but who owns the entire patient data, not your 
not just your clinical data, but your you know biomarkers, your lifestyle data, like whether you did exercise one hour ago, etc. And so there is a race for kind of owning that in the right way because whoever can own that can you know benefit. And then Google, Google and others are very much into into from that angle. I don't think they are necessarily into drug development, but they are into sort of you know though Google tried something like that, <laughs> uh, 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 but they are into total total health management. So, but there's no doubt that digital and, and digital thinking will transform drug development and the, and the oh, way we manage yeah. clinical trials. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what, is the, what does the future of clinical trials look like when you have data and the Internet of Things and sensors? I mean, how does that improve performance? So, you know, uh, in clinical trials, right, today it happens in a sort of a setting that you heard Chris say that, first of all, there's a lot of issues in recruiting patients. Uh, and then also... You know, you you we may do the clinical trial on a set of demographic, but the drug is being used on a different right. age group. So, so increasingly, so well, payers will, will probably yeah, look the payers to are saying that you know it's it's okay you did the clinical trial, but show me that for my set <laughs> my, of population yeah. demographic it works. Especially for very expensive drugs. Yeah. Yes. And and in pharma there was this you know sort of this silo between commercial and drug development. Yeah. So there is a lot of data. In the, on the commercial side, when the drug actually goes to market, when it's being used by a lot of patients, right? And how it is working on different patients. And, and one of the clinical trial optimization is how do you use that data for, for, for your, you know, to so inform as opposed, not just the sort of the actual trial, uh, but how do you use the real world data, you know, to inform your clinical. Uh, so this is one of the biggest frontiers we have, which is called real world data. Mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, if you think about a clinical trial, it's it's got a few hundred folks in it, whereas real world, you potentially have millions of patients taking the product. And if you can mine that information, you can get lots of information about how that product works in combination with what, with what types of with what types of patients, and so on. So this frontier is a is a very exciting frontier. Who, who has the ability to really tap and mine that? Who is in the best position at the moment? Um, there are is it the, is it kind of the uh, you know the pharmacies of the world or, or doc physicians or hospital groups? It tends to be there tends to be uh, again three kinds of different different actors. So one actor that Sahaj just talked about, which are the, the the folks who are trying to build this this kind of vertical layer, the provider systems, which are the folks who are. Um, ultimately driving the provision of healthcare. What's happening here in the United States is they are merging and they're becoming bigger and bigger. And as they're doing that, they're saying, well, we are now in charge of uh, of this patient population. It's it's our responsibility. Some of them are also becoming payers too. So they're, they're operating a little bit like uh, European payers and providers, right? So they're they're fully integrated. But they've got the data and the outcomes. Exactly. And so now they have the data, they have their own data, which is uh, what is my physician who's on my who's on my roster? What are they doing day to day with their patients? And so they, and uh, they're creating their own real world evidence. So and and this is a huge error. So when so I was talking about, um, I want to see it on my data. That's really what what is meant. Which is yeah, you might it it might have worked for you in that clinical trial, but test it on me. Test it on my system. Um, and then of course the pharma companies. They're the the third folks because what they want to do is to say yes, well it does work, and it it will work in your patient population as well. And why don't we why don't we create an agreement to make sure that when it works, then I get you know properly uh, funded, if you like, for for <laughs> it working. Right. So it's almost like a contingent based business model. 
We will see those more and more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I believe one out of five, so 20% of the payers are now requiring yeah. outcome-based contract. Right. Not, not just discounts on pricing, et cetera. Or, or pricing yeah. based on research and development costs. Yeah, I guess when you when you look at the transformation required by manufacturers to go from this idea that they're just here to create molecules or you know med tech devices to actually creating software and digital platforms, what are the, some of the cultural changes that they need to embrace in order for that to become a reality? Because it's it's a very big philosophical shift for these traditional drug manufacturers. Yeah, I mean, I think one one thing that we one thing sort of very immediate obstacle that we see is that if you're if you're organized by product, and you know each product could have their own platform, could have their own app, and so on. And what's happening today is they are doing that, um, but it's create it's creating this proliferation of digital apps and products when um, a different organizing structure within the companies could have a better outcome for the patient and even for the company itself. So it, I think that's it, an immediate it, it, obstacle. It would be like all the Apple products having their own version of iTunes. That's right. Pretty much ex yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And not just they are organized by product, they are organized by channels. So I am in charge of email. And some of it is now getting addressed, right? And what happens in that structure, if you are trying to figure out, for example, for the diseased, hmm. uh, then just to assemble a team, you have 50 people because they are all representing different parts of it. So just it makes it very challenging to move forward with any any projects. Um, now in some way, you know, once the pharma companies uh, uh, and medtech companies starts to realize that, you know, they can restructure to that. But yeah, I think this uh, very product-centric mindset um, and, and organization is one of the obstacles for sure. And when you when you read what is on the minds of CEOs and so on, it the they see this obstacle absolutely very yeah. central. Again, they're talking about talking about the same thing in different ways, patient centricity and so on. But ultimately, we'll need to get past this product centric mindset in order to be able to do some of these. How should you organize a twenty first century pharma company? I think there are different uh, um, theories, but for sure, patient centricity. So take you know sort of the because the patient will be the winner and everything is centered around that. Organizing yourself on patient organizing uh, ourselves on sort of the disease areas uh, um, right. and uh, changing it from... from which could have multiple products. Yeah, which yeah, could no, have multiple exactly. products. Right. Uh, and also better integration with the rest of the healthcare. The whole yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. 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 Aside from reorganization, there's another, in some ways, more subtle shift that has to take place around capabilities and approach to decision-making. Uh, because now if you've got more of these um, automated platforms and uh, AI systems which can help you make decisions, what is the 21st century healthcare leader or executive? How do they need to approach their job? I mean, where do they really add value? Uh, there is a moment of time between now and sort of, you know, this what we, what we call 3.0, which is where it's a little bit of a race to get there. Yeah. And I think there will be certain companies that will reorganize faster, will create these systems faster than others, and um, they will win out. So part of what executives are doing right now is to start that race is to say, well, we have organized in this in this kind of way and we have these analytics and AI and functions that do this. Right. How do we move it towards you know, where we need to go such that we are relevant in that new world? 
So, so that's, that's, that's kind of the a, sort of very sort of here trans, and now. There's a transformational phase. Very here and now, exactly. But, but I guess once we've got to that point, you know, what are the new skills and capabilities that, you, I mean, you may not have a huge field of sales reps anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but you've got to have people who are doing some of the strategic thinking that you don't delegate to the machines. What does that look like? Yeah, I think in the, um, so if we, if we look at some of the big players that will always be around, and we think pharma manufacturers will always be around, um, there will also be payer and provider systems. And so there'll be a whole gamut of decision making, which is around how do we interact together, uh, payers, providers, pharma manufacturers, diagnostic companies, such that we're operating in a healthcare world that is creating the outcomes that we want, but also that is creating sort of win-wins for each piece, each piece so, of that so puzzle. So ecosystem design, uh, partnership and management becomes a very important Absolutely. future skill. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. And even if you look at something like marketing, the strategic part of marketing will you know, remain, but a lot of right now marketing resources are on designing the next campaign, executing the, and there's a lot of manual intervention, and that all has the potential of getting automated, obviously. Right. But then the strategic part, part of the marketing, how we think about sort of the, what, the, what are the right messages and how, you know, what are the right segments, et cetera, I mean, that all will be and, and also how we you know, sell it to the rest of the organization yeah, yeah. or to the market. So the storytelling piece Mm-hmm. you know, around what's happened or what will happen becomes a key sort Absolutely. of human skill. Plus, if some of the things that, you know, we, some of what we talked about before, which is if some of these new players come in and they're successful, so people own uh, the patient data, or um, Amazon comes in and is able to disrupt the whole pharmacy and the supply chain part of it, there, um, the relevance of executives in that world is very, very high. They'll need to figure out how to deal with you know, the Amazon in that world or how to deal with companies that have patient records and they, they own all this patient information and so on. So I think there'll, be, there'll always be a role for uh, strategic decision making. Well, guys, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you both. It's a really exciting area and topic. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.